Sanctum's Olympics podcast. Uh, we're back for part two this week. I'm your host, Jackie. I'm still joined by Dan, Will, and Jasper. So, how is everyone going since the last recording ended? Yeah, I'm glad to be back, and, and I'm glad you didn't decide to cut me off to yesterday. So, I think I did okay in that regard. Um, very excited to talk about some tennis and some basketball in particular, but also some global news as well, because we had a particular Australia flavor yesterday. So, excited to get into it. And Dan and Will. Good. Still in lockdown. But, you know, <laughs> we're, we're here on the podcast and that is a distraction from lockdown, which we love. So, keen to get into it again. Plenty of news going around. So, it's always yeah, good to chat about. I, I talk enough for Will most of the time, so I'm going to let him talk enough for me there. Um, <laughs> it is pretty much the same as it was last night. <laughs> uh, so, we'll start with the first bit of global news, which is that as far as uh, sponsorships and advertising is concerned, the games are still kind of considered to be fraught with danger just purely because despite the fact that it is the most heavily invested in Olympic games of all time by quite a bit, um, they're still concerned that due to the unpopularity in Japan and even unpopularity um, globally of this Olympics going forward, that they don't quite know what's going to happen as far as when the Olympics start. There is a belief that once the Olympics kicks off, as always, people are just going to get behind them. But they are worried about that risk. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the Olympic brand has obviously been put through its paces over the last 12 months with the delay. And, and even I think up until a couple of weeks ago, there was probably uncertainty as to whether the Games would happen or not. But I think that we will see that um, everyone kind of will get behind and, and it'll feel a little bit like a normal Games in a lot of ways. And sponsorship is one of those. And Obviously, some sponsors aren't going to be thrilled. Asahi, we talked about last week, is um, not going to be able to have product placement in the games. So they're going to be relying pretty heavily on the advertising. And I think a number of other brands will too. But the real question is going to be the impact after the games. Uh, because at the end of the day, if the Olympics goes really smoothly, attaching your name to it's going to be a really big thing and really positive. And if the Olympics kind of is that worst case scenario that we've been worrying about um, brands are going to be a little bit less thrilled about having their name attached. So are you saying there's going to be a scramble at the end to, to attach your name or to, to disassociate yourself afterwards? No, I think that uh, everyone's kind of put in now um, that they've cast their die and it's just a matter of seeing how it lands. But I think that we will see people playing it up or playing it down depending on how it goes, but the dies have been cast now. Yeah, I believe a few weeks ago there were brands that were, they still had invested, they weren't retracting their funds um, from the Olympics, but they were trying to get their name essentially removed. And it will be interesting if, at least in Japan, if the Olympics are considered a, a success, if those brands then by the end of the Games want their name back attached to everything. I guess the one thing that's kind of 
it's all hinging on basically whether the the Olympics goes well or not is is the COVID, and we love to talk about that um, every week. And we've had a bit of a another bit of a hurdle, um, and we saw a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think it was a couple of members of the Ugandan Olympic team um, testing positive as they as they entered Japan. Um, and so we've seen a, a member of the the Serbian rowing team um, test positive upon entry um, to Japan. Actually, it was while trying to enter Japan. Um, this this week um and it's it's an interesting interesting case because um because the officials say that the athlete's been isolated at um at the airport they were they were entering entering from and were trying to enter into a training camp but i guess the the positive thing out of this is that um that that athlete has been isolated since since testing positive which obviously is kind of the protocol but but you definitely definitely want that to happen yeah, absolutely. And we've seen um, the Tokyo Organizing Committee said on Friday last week that um, more than 500 athletes have already arrived in Tokyo. Um, and it's been largely without incidents. So we've had a couple of cases, but they seem to have caught any um, COVID cases early um, and there's not any worry about contagion. Uh, but there's still about 15,000 athletes to come through or athletes and so 15,000 athletes to come through um, between the Olympics and the Paralympics, and then there'll be more coaches, judges, and officials along the way. So they're, they're a long way from getting it all the way done, but it's a really good start so far. Yeah, well, it's good news that this athlete has been isolating in the past. We know that uh, Olympi- Olympians uh, like to uh, take part in the and the, the bed hopping of the Olympics uh, and and this year they're going to have they're going to have souvenirs, and I'd be correct in saying that Dan, you you want a souvenir from the games that you go to if you're an athlete, right? I would, but I think having a souvenir <laughs> of horizontal gymnastics is probably not the one I'd take. I think I'd rather yeah, well, have a gold medal. Yeah, well, to be fair, you'd be you you do pretty well in that because they're all in single beds, which I know you can relate to. And the the Olympics has ordered in 160 thousand condoms. Uh, so it's looking like our, our cyclists and, and track stars and gymnasts won't be uh, just in the latex during the day. Uh, it looks like they'll be in the latex at night as well. However, the twist here is the organisers have said, uh, I think they've been found out a little bit, and they've said that their souvenirs are not to be used uh, for their actual, uh, their actual reason for existence uh, it, because it wouldn't be COVID safe and, and no safe sex and, and I quote, uh, must avoid unnecessary physical contact at all times, these athletes, uh, which begs the question, what are the athletes, especially injury replacements, even supposed to do when they're not competing? Why, what are they doing in the Olympic village? Dan, I'm sure well, you have some thoughts on this. I mean, this, this time it looks like uh, Olympic athletes who aren't competing will have to kind of sit tight and um, watch the games. There'll, there'll be no extracurricular gymnastics being taken part in. Um, and it sounds like these condoms will be dished out um, as souvenirs on the way out of the Olympic Village. So they're not going to be provided um, freely available during and before the Games, as I think is normally the way it's done. Um, yeah, and yeah. part of it I, is that... I believe that they've been found out and this wasn't, wasn't supposed to become common knowledge that this was happening and they were going to distribute them at the start of the Games. Uh, but now they have to say that it's, you know, being COVID safe, they have to distribute them after the game. So I think um, the Olympians have been kind of stitched up here. Well, Jasper, I think that um, you probably have to to dig a little bit deeper um, and maybe 
open up the wrapping to find out a little bit more about all oh of that. Oh my god. This requires an investigation. I do agree. Having said that, I don't think the the lack of condoms being available at the Olympic Village will deter too many Olympians from partaking in the uh, horizontal gymnastics, as you put it. Jackie, you had a look at one of the other um, bits of news about latex going on at the Olympics. So it's news that came out probably late last week. I believe it was either Friday or Saturday in that the swimming caps that have been designed for natural black hair by a black brand known as Soul Cap uh, were, for lack of better words, banned um, from this Olympics. But an interesting decision by FINA just yesterday, as far as when we're recording, is that they've decided to review that decision because there was naturally a massive uproar just in the sense of those the uh, swimming caps that are technically used are just not ideal for black hair in particular. But then the fact that they made the point that this kind of swimming cap is banned when it appears to have no real performance aid or performance detractor overall, it's just a swimming cap, um, has as I said, caused an uproar. And the fact that they're reviewing it, I think is a positive story in what was originally a very negative story for FINA and also the Tokyo Olympics. So do you think they're reviewing it because it was a negative story or do you think they've kind of looked back on their decision and said, uh, it, yeah, it seems a bit racist. And also is there backing behind this um, to, to come to this decision because it does actually aid the swimmer? Well, I think part of why they're looking at it is... Um, in, in part due to Alice Deering, um, who's said to be the first black female swimmer to represent Great Britain. Um, she qualified last month in the open water marathon swimming. Um, and she's previously partnered with Soulcap to promote um, diversity in, in swimming as a sport and um, encouraging more uh, multiculturalism in swimming generally. And I think that her kind of decision to stand up and, and make a point about this is probably part of what kicked it off. And I think also generally there was probably an understanding that maybe adhering to the rigid rules uh, that have gone okay in years past, wasn't going to cut it in 2021. Well, and I don't think you can make comparisons with this cap to say the super suit, um, which has been banned for quite a number of years. Um, There's no obvious aid. It's just that it doesn't fit to the natural form of the head was the reasoning. And everyone in, progressive as well as conservative media basically said that makes no damn sense and I think that uproar that has been created has made FINA take a look at the actual decision and whilst they're not necessarily going to reverse it chances are by the time this podcast is released it has been reversed but they're going to have to take it into better consideration than they originally did. Um, And speaking of uproar Jasper you had a look at some of the news coming out of the track um, qualifications in the U.S. Yeah, well, Shikari Richardson this season became the sixth fastest woman ever at 100 metres. And she's not going to be able to compete, which is just ridiculous because of, of what she's been banned for. Uh, and, and she's been banned for uh, marijuana use, which is legal in, in a lot of states in the US now. And it's just, I, it's beggar's belief. There's been absolute out, outcry of support for her and uproar. Um, from, from a lot of black athletes and a lot of athletes in general as well. I think LaMelo Ball put it pretty well when he tweeted, if it ain't crack, let her run track. <laughs> now, I'm not, I don't think we should condone what, like, her drug use, and I think it's also a bit of a deficiency if she is um, smoking weed and, and running because it's not a performance enhancer at all. Uh, but I, it's just ridiculous. 
ridiculous that she's not able to run run track and, and compete at the Olympics after after training for five years for this moment. And she tweeted herself, I am human. That's it. Uh, she, she got, obviously, uh, just an outpouring of support um, from a lot of her fellow athletes, which is fantastic news. But um, what what's the latest in her like appeal to, to be able to compete at the Olympics in some way, Jackie? So it's my understanding that she's only going to be banned for 30 days from the date that she tested positive, which was June 28th, I think, as far as or 27th in the US, but she'll be allowed to compete as of July 28th, which is before the track and field events start. So provided she is selected by the US national team, which with the times that she was running, even if you don't factor in the times that she ran after testing positive at Olympic trials, is going to give her a good chance that they will choose to put her on the team. As she tweeted and you've reiterated, she is human. She's made a mistake. She spoke about how the um, passing of her biological mother um, was close to the event of when she smoked weed. Um, But it's just almost a ridiculous story in the sense of Michael Phelps was known to smoke weed occasionally. Um, And there was uproar about that, but she was in Oregon where marijuana is legal or marijuana usage is legal. So she's not broken any law. It's just that the IOC and World Athletics rules are so stringent that even a recreational drug that has no bearing on performance, if anything, it inhibits performance, uh, has resulted in a suspension. I guess that's the one big thing to consider, um, sort of the the performance enhancing side of it, because obviously, as we said, it's not not a performance enhancing drug, and um, I think also just the fact that it's a sort of recreational usage as well is kind of just like it's up to the athlete whatever they do um, in that regard as well. So I think there are probably a couple of couple of big things to consider, but um, the, as well. It's, it's good that it looks like there's hope for her to be able to compete um, in at least the relay, I think, is what the original um, reports were suggesting. But now, um, as you've said, Jackie, if she's approved, she could compete in both. So I think that's a good good result or could be a good result in the end. Yeah, well, fingers crossed she can compete because she was already just an incredible figure that the Olympics was going to host. And uh, she was one of the favourites for the gold medal in the 100 metres as well as the other events she was going to compete in. Uh, so hopefully it all comes to fruition. She can get on the plane, get to Tokyo because um, she was going to be so exciting to watch with her, with her long hair and, and, and like her, her tattoos and, and everything that she kind of competed with her, her whole aura. Um, she was an absolute uh, superstar in the qualifiers. So it'll be exciting to see her on the big stage. Um, let's hope it happens. Well, and if we talk about an athlete returning to the big stage in the track, uh, Nick Willis for New Zealand will be going to his fifth Olympic Games, which, Dan, you looked into that a little bit. Yeah, so he's a really interesting story because uh, basically coming into the last weekend of the Olympic selection period, um, he was ranked the 47th runner in the 1500 in the world. um, And the Olympics only takes the top 45. Um, But there've been a couple of athletes who've withdrawn. Um, and so he's the 45th eligible athlete um, to compete at the Olympics. And so he will be going um, in the 1500. Um, and he's the first New Zealand track and field athlete to compete in five Olympics after debuting in Athens, 2004. And he's not the only athlete going to their fifth Olympics in New Zealand. Uh, Dame Valerie Adams will be competing in the shot put 
um, she's a fifth time Olympian as well. So there's plenty of experience coming in from the New Zealand track team. Yeah. And you just look at Willis's record. He's run a sub four minute mile 19 years in a row. And he did it as recently as January this year. And so now he's looking to get that record of the three minutes, 50 second. Obviously there's not a mile race in um, the Olympics, but he's going to do very well in the 1500 meter race this year, I believe. And they've also got uh, young Sam Tanner, who's just 20 years old and ran a 334 um, in the 1500. So I think he's probably more realistic, the New Zealand medal chance in the 1500, but there is still, um, plenty of excitement about Willis going, given that. Um, and Jackie, you had a look at the uh, Team GB uh, track and field team that was named with 65 athletes. So they've just gone just a little bit bigger than us, haven't they? Yeah, let's just go yeah. bang. Two athletes bigger. It's just like they're trying to like rub it in a little bit that they've got a higher population than Australia. Uh, but yeah, it's a massive squad overall. If you include the uh, long distance athletes, which there is seven, they're actually going to be sending 72 for track field running events. But there's some big names in there. Asher Smith is one of them who's nominated. Oh, sorry. Dina Asher Smith is one of those big names that is nominated for the women's 100 meter, 200 meter, and then the four by 100 meter relay. She is a reigning world's 100 meter silver medalist, but she's also the 200 meter world champion. So I wouldn't necessarily say she's by any means a guaranteed gold. So much can happen at an Olympic games, but she's probably the UK's best chance to get a medal in the women's sprinting events. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's plenty of history. Um, Lawrence Okoye um, is a really interesting one. Um, he reached the discus final in 2012 um, and missed Rio 2016. So he's back there. Um, and that's going to be really exciting to see. And, and Katarina Johnson-Thompson, that's a, a mouthful of a name. Katarina Johnson-Thompson <laughs> um, is, is on her way to her third Olympics in the heptathlon. Um, she's struggling a little bit with injury. So she's um, got to just prove her fitness. But uh, by all accounts, she's going to do it and and she's got the british record for the most points in a heptathlon um when she won the world title in 2019 so the the uk team or team gb team gb is full of plenty high quality athletes um despite mo farrah missing out like we talked about last week yeah and what is uh quite a positive story overall is Canadian boxer Mandy Bujold has successfully appealed the Court of Arbitration for Sport to allow her entrance into the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, she is one of those athletes that during, because of COVID, the qualification period was so disrupted for the sport of boxing that they ended up backdating it to the 2018-2019 events, which she was unable to compete in because she was pregnant and then had just had a baby. And so ultimately the court of arbitration for sport ruled that accommodations needed to be made for uh, pregnant and postnatal athletes. And as a result, because she was second in the world um, had recently won a gold at a Canadian qualifier that, and is an 11 time Canadian champion that she should in fact be on that Canadian Olympic team going to Tokyo, which is huge news for her. Uh, it could change qualification in sport as far as uh, athletes who are pregnant or have just had babies. 
but it is a case of is it a consideration just because of COVID or is this going to be a long-term change? Yeah, I was going to say this is huge for precedent or potentially huge for precedent. And I absolutely love some of her quotes and, and what she said about the matter because it was a, such a huge task for her to, to overcome this. Uh, I'll, I'll quote her a little bit here. Of all the battles I've prepared for in my career, I never thought the battle for gender equity would be the hardest. It was one of the biggest fights of my career, but also the fight with the most meaning. I was standing up for what I believe is right and for what I had worked so hard for. Like You can you can tell from from the from the words she's spoken that this means so much for her and, and also for, for future um, women in this situation, if, if she can overcome it, then, then others can. And hopefully there is a precedent set in this situation. Yeah. And we talked about um, Shelly Ann Fraser Price last week, who's coming back from um, a bit of time off from the sport for maternity. And Chloe Esposito is one that's really interesting. She was gold in the decathlon um, at Rio for Australia. Um, and she's currently postnatal. Um, she had her baby last year. Um, and that's kind of thrown her out of contention for this Olympics. But she said she wants to be back for Paris. And I think more and more we're seeing that women have decided that pregnancy is not going to be a reason to stop competing at the elite level. And we're seeing it across the sport. And I think it's only things that can only help the sport and sport in general in the future. Yeah. And I think that in the case, uh, pregnancy is a calculated risk for a lot of athletes as to whether they can or can't return. But Bujold took that risk uh, at the end of the last Olympic cycle or the beginning of this Olympic cycle. And when she just had her baby, no one could have foreseen there was going to be a pandemic that would change which events were Olympic qualifier events, especially events that had already happened. So you couldn't choose whether to go to those events or not. It had already happened. And if you'd chosen not to go to them, it was a bit tough luck. So she's fought probably one of the best fights for women in sport overall, um, that hopefully we will see changes for more than just boxing in the next decade. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's plenty of sports where it is going to be kind of relevant. And one of those is um, tennis because obviously Serena Williams is the poster child for returning from pregnancy. And even though um, it sounds like she's not going to be going to Tokyo no. uh, based on the fact that she was pretty adamant that if her name was on the list, it was wrong. Mm. Um, but it, she has kind of shown that you can return to that really high level from pregnancy. But uh, Jasper, you're one of our tennis experts along with Jackie. You, The two of you had a bit of a look at, at who's qualified for the Olympics and who's been seated. Yeah, well, firstly, Serena won't be going. Um, and it's a bit of changing the guards for, for the women in US tennis. We're going to see Coco Goff, which is so exciting. Obviously, she, she made headlines as a 15-year-old on the Australian Open stage a couple of years ago. She's now 17. Um, she's just unbelievable. She's in Wimbledon still. Uh, it's, it's fantastic um, to see her rise, and, and she's going to be here for the next two decades, which is just incredible. Uh, so she will be making her first Olympics um, debut. But the men are headlined by some, some huge hitters here. We've got Federer. Uh, did anyone say Golden Slam? Uh, we've got Djokovic and we've also got Andy Murray as well coming for one last Olympics crack, which will be really exciting for him. Uh, who are you looking forward to seeing um, apart from Federer? Because we all look forward to seeing him, Jackie. Yeah, so Federer is the obvious answer. Um, I think that you at least, Jasper, know I have a bit of a love affair with Medvedev and Tsitsipas. Ironic because yeah. they don't get along all that well. Um, so I'd like to see them do really well interestingly for them they've gone a little bit in different directions uh Medvedev who is classically bad on clay had a really good French Open 
Then Sitsipas, who went all the way to the final, uh, then bowed out at the French Open, immediately bowed out in Wimbledon. So there's a bit of a mix of form. It'll be hard to see how they're going because Tokyo is going to be a hard court tournament. Um, in the women's, that naturally will favor Naomi Osaka over Ash Barty and Arena Sabalenka, who will be the higher ranked seeds going yeah. to the women's tournament. But even though I do not like him very much, it is hard to look past Djokovic on hard courts unless Medvedev is going in as good a form as he was at that start of that Australian Open this year. Which well, is it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy what happens when you represent your your country and and some. Some just perform better on the on the bigger stage. The one I'm really looking forward to is Andy Murray. I think yes. that he could have his, you know, he hasn't been um, the same for a while. He, he went through the first round in Wimbledon, which was awesome, and he always has such incredible support. I cannot wait to see him at the Olympics. I think he'll represent his country magnificently, um, and I hope he goes well in, in the singles and also in the doubles. Well, and Andy Murray will be the only Olympic gold medalist in the men's. Um, for yeah. the singles at the very least, which is huge. And I think that that will hopefully give him some confidence, even if he doesn't quite think that his body is right for it. Uh, Federer is chasing a gold, career golden slam, as is Djokovic. Um, Med, Tsitsipas and Zverev, and even team, if he gets up from injury, uh, will all be chasing their first major uh, title slash medal I guess in this case except the team who won the US Open last year so it could be quite interesting as you said I think that the representing your country is a big part of it and Daniel Medvedev is one of the best at representing their country him and the Russians just go off in the tournaments that they play together let's um take a a little bit more localized let's go to the Australians and are we going to see Nick Kyrgios at the Olympics, you think, Jackie? Um, I wish, but I don't think so. So in the third round at Wimbledon, he was flying, at least in the first set. Uh, but when he was 5-1 up, it seemed he injured his abdomen. And then the rest of the match, he was just not right. Retired in the second at the end of the second set after losing it to Phil... I can't Felix say his name. Alessi. Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> retired at the end of the second set, losing it to Felix Auger-Alessi. And it's devastating because obviously we'd love to see Kyrgios at the Olympics after missing out in 2016. But he was talking about it potentially being a tear. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Kyrgios is one of those athletes who really would be kind of buoyed by representing his country. We've seen that over the last couple of years, um, at the Australian Open in 2020 um, with the bushfire relief and then 2021 as the COVID cop, um, basically, mm. of the Australian Open. He's shown kind of a new maturity that we didn't see previously from Kyrgios. And I think that he probably would have grown even more carrying the green and gold on his back. And, and we might have seen kind of the best tennis from Nick Kyrgios because he was playing with some really good application at Wimbledon. So... I'm still hopeful. Um, we obviously haven't heard any medical reports at the time of recording, but I'm hopeful that he will pull up and be ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's the addition is that um, at the Davis Cup and ATV Cup, he's shown a capacity to play doubles really well. Um, and I think he could play doubles into his 40s um, if, he, if he's interested in tennis at that, at that point in time, because 
is such a good server and then also a team player's reflex in the net are unbelievable. So he has a really good doubles game. Uh, one thing that I will flag as well is uh, James Duckworth is in the form of his career. He's, yes. he's made it through to the third round. And um, if we don't see Kyrgios, uh, we've still got some really good chances in, in the doubles, especially with Demon or Milman and Duckworth, who I think are all really competent players. Um, I don't think they've announced the mixed doubles yet, have they, Jackie? No, that'll get announced on, I think it's the 27th of July is the exact date. Um, right. So I was rubbing my hands together at the prospect of a curious Barty partnership. I don't think that's going to happen given the injury, but also Barty's doing the women's single, uh, women's singles, women's doubles. So it, there's every chance they chuck Stoza in because she is a very experienced doubles player and we're not going to expect Stoza to go deep in the singles event by any stretch. Yeah. Um, uh, the other two that, we can't uh, fail to shout out uh, Barty and, and Isla Tomjanovic. Incredible work at Wimbledon. They're in the forms of their, um, well, Isla in particular is in the form of her career, uh, which is super exciting. Uh, so at the time of recording, they'll probably be into their quarterfinal matchup against each other. Let's see how that one plays out because it'll be very interesting to see if Isla can cause a huge upset uh, against the, the tournament favourite right now, which is Barty. Um, so yeah, we, we've got some medal chances on both sides with with Demonor and and with um, with Barty. So I'm excited to see what we can do at, at the Olympics for the Aussie side. And we mentioned last night that um, this year is our biggest ever contingent of First Nations athletes, and Barty's going to be our first uh, singles tennis player um, of uh, First Nations background, and and she comes in as one of the event favourites. I think for a lot of people, Naomi Osaka is quite rightfully the favorite, but it's hard to discount the world number one and Barty showing at Wimbledon that she's not lacking form. Um, at the time of recording, she's looking pretty good heading into the quarterfinal and it'll be really exciting to see an Australian in the Wimbledon semis because that bodes really well for Tokyo, whatever happens in the quarterfinal yeah. tonight. Barty, uh, Barty's the most balanced of the women's uh, on any surface. She can go well anywhere. Whereas Osaka is very much a, not so far as saying a hard court specialist, but she is far better on the hard court than on grass and clay. And Sabalenka is very much dictated by how fast the courts are. So Barty, I reckon is a good chance to win Wimbledon. And then if she's got that, she can build on it in the next couple of weeks and then come into Tokyo and just absolutely fly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and obviously the tennis is one of those events that we are really excited for. The other one that, um, and part of the reason that we've brought Jasper along is that he is one of our resident bas- basketball experts at the Inner Sanctum. And he had a bit of a look um, at the basketball competition leading up to the Olympics. Yeah, well, with the Boomers being announced, it was a good opportunity to, to jump on it and talk a little bit of Boomers, especially. We'll get into the Opals a little bit as well. Uh, I love their gold medal chances too. Uh, just quickly, Brian Gurdjian, obviously the, the head coach this year, um, taking over from Andre Lomanis. He's, he's announced his 12-man squad. Um, I'll just discuss a little bit about uh, Josh Giddy, who did get an omission. Uh, unfortunate for the young gun. He's going to head into the draft pool. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing for him. It's not going to impact his draft stock um, too much at, or at all, um, if at all. Uh, so I think he's going to be fine in that regard. And I still expect him probably a lot lottery pick this year, which is super exciting for him and, and the Adelaide 36ers organization. Um, but we do have some NBL players and, and a good mixture of NBA experience as well. We've got Aaron Baines and, and Delhi 
Matthew Delavadova in their third games, and then Joe Ingles and, and Paddy Mills in their fourth game. So then we have a lot of debutants, and I kind of want to jump into to a few of these guys um, and and what they can add to the to the side. And and Kako, feel free to jump in as well with me here, is because I know you keep up with the with the basketball and you're and you're well down, well informed on what we can be looking at here with our group stage and then into the finals, hopefully meddling for the first time. Uh, firstly, I think Matisse Thybul might be the best player um, for us at the Olympics, not named Paddy Mills. I think that's his upside on the defensive end. And with Gorgian, who, who utilised Justin, Justin Simon, as I mentioned in the last podcast, as that defensive anchor, um, an on-ball role and an off-ball role, just being an absolute pest. I think I think Thibault can can kind of do the same thing. He's a world-class defender. Um, and, you know, he's, he's guarded the likes of, of ball on a string kind of point guards like John Wall, um, Bradley Beal and, and Russell, Russell Westbrook. Um, and then also like off ball kind of seven foot snipers like Larry Markkinen in the NBA. His defensive per 36 minute averages in the NBA are just insane. He's, um, he's at the first in the NBA per 36 minutes for steals at 2.9 um, and deflections at 5.6. And then there's also 17th in blocks, which is crazy if you consider that he's still a guard like slash forward at six foot eight, six foot seven ish. So uh, his, his defensive capabilities are awesome and I'm so glad that he's going to be a boomer this year. Um, and the other one I want to touch on is Aaron Baines, who probably doesn't get the kudos he deserves with Andrew Boga out of contention. He's going to be commentating this year. I'm really excited to see what Baines can do at centre and make that spot his own. Um, and he might end up being our most important player because he allows Gorgian to run a five-out offence. Uh, we've seen Aaron Baines, his capacity to, to stretch the floor for, for his NBA sides in, in Phoenix last year and then Toronto this year is awesome. And, and it gives us a weapon that a lot of teams don't really have with, with their center rotation. We're going to see uh, a lot of Kevin Love at the five if we come up against Team USA because that's the only way you can really match up on Aaron Baines because you can't, you can't play a big guy like Bam Adebayo um, who's, if, against Baines who's going to be stretching the floor. Uh, so I think that that really works into our um, play. And, and we got another debutante who I know you're well up to date with as well, um, Josh Green, Dan. Yeah, well, I think Josh Green actually could be one of those really important players for us. I don't think he's going to be in the starting five, uh, which is a role he's become quite used to playing. Uh, he's on the Mavs um, after his rookie season. Um, I think that one of the things that's going to be really valuable for him is being a, a spark plug off the bench and running the floor fast and hard and, We've seen his vision and ability to pass. Um, it looks a lot like Luka Doncic's in a lot of ways. Um, he's able to find open men in the corner for that open three. And I think that that's a really good chance for us to, to come off the bench and against a lot of teams, weaker halves in the back of the rotation, to be able to bring on a player like that who can defend really well, creates, and also is pretty good as a, his own kind of shot maker on his own. He's going to be a really important player for us off the bench. He's going to be an absolute star of the future as well for the next decade or two. I can't wait to see what he becomes in the NBA. And for the Boomers, uh, like you said, his his defense is unbelievable. His on-ball and off-ball defense, as well as he's he's able to look um, kind of over offenses, um, over opposing defenses, find people in the corner, as you said, and also uh, he, he has the capability of stretching the floor, um, catching lobs, uh, grabbing some offensive rebounds as well, sneaking out the back. And, and then in transition too, FIBA is so important in transition because in half-court sets, it's much easier to defend. So you want to be able to get the ball out in running as much as possible. And with this team, I think we can. 
Yeah, and, and Josh Green in a lot of ways looks a lot like his teammate Doncic in that ability to kind of break down the the transition defense. But Will, you had a bit of a look at the groups, and I for one am glad that we're not going to be running into Doncic in the group stages. It's a it's a we've got a fairly fortunate draw, you'd say. Um, we're coming yeah. up coming up in in Group B um, against Germany, Italy, and Nigeria, and that's it's pretty pretty strong chance for us, I think. In, in those group stages to to get a good a good run heading into the the finals and the the later stages of the tournament yeah we we're also really lucky to not end up with Russia because they were in one of those qualifiers over the past weekend and ultimately I believe they were in the one that Germany got through in Jasper you can probably correct me it could have been the Italy game um yeah. and yeah, Russia would have been a real uh, challenge for the Aussies in that group stage, which we always like to see. I thought we benefited off going up against the US in 2016 in the group stage. But to also come out of this group at the top of the group will be good for the Aussies to give them that extra bit of uh, oomph into trying to get into that gold medal match for the first time. Yeah, so we're quite fortunate in our group stage, in my opinion. We knew we were going to face Nigeria. Um and that's a, that's a task that I think we can handle personally. Uh, and then we have Germany and Italy rounding it out. And it could have been worse. It could have been Brazil, who we've uh, historically really struggled against. They've, they've won a fair few medals in their time. Um, and, and then also Serbia was the one uh, who, who have the NBA MVP, Nikola Jokic, as well as a couple of other incredible NBA athletes. So uh, we're very, very fortunate that we're not going up against him because he could have made... Um, a, a slightly shorter and, and more outside um, kind of a boomer squad really pay inside because he's such a class act and, and pretty unstoppable uh, for the most part. I guess another good thing for, for the boomers preparation as well is um, just the, the exhibition and sort of practice games they're playing heading into the, the games as well. So playing against Argentina, the US and Nigeria. So I think it's actually handy to have that match up against Nigeria before uh, before we play against them. I think it's yeah the first game of the, the campaign, which will be on the, the 25th of July. So um, handy to have that as a bit of a bit of a warm up. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see who comes out of the other groups. Uh, the United States, pardon my pun, is obviously an easy layup out of group A. But it could be the Czech Republic or France that comes out. Uh, Two are guaranteed. Then it just depends on ranking for who gets the seventh and eighth spot as to the third ranked teams in each group. I don't realistically think Iran are a great chance. But then Group C is probably a little bit more of a group of death with Argentina, Japan, Spain and Slovenia. Uh, Dan, I'm sure you'll tout that Luca will get Slovenia that top spot <laughs> quite convincingly. But Spain's had a good record, as has Argentina in the uh, World Cup events. Japan's probably the weakest link in that group, but you can't count a team out when they're at home either. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is a group of death. I'm not sure that Luca's going to be able to single handedly drag Slovenia past Spain. Um, but I think you'd be a pretty brave gambler to bet against them making that group stage. But it is going to be really tough with um, Japan obviously playing at home, playing with someone like Hachimura, who's we're expecting to be the flag bearers we touched on last week. Um, and, and so they've obviously got that kind of home boost, even though they might not have the home crowd. Uh, but then Argentina and Spain both have some really high quality results at FIBA level for quite a long time. And there's plenty of talent. So I think that's going to be a really tough group to get out of. 
Yeah. Um, let's quickly touch on the Opals as well. Uh, they, I'm so excited to watch them. They obviously coming off that silver medal. They're going to chase that elusive gold medal. Uh, if they can, if they can pull it off, they'll be just the greatest um, Opal side of all time. They're already one of the greatest right now, um, which is awesome to say after the Lauren Jackson era kind of ended and we look to our next superstar. And right now, you have to say that it's Liz Cambage and and she's one of the most unstoppable um, athletes on the planet in terms of basketball. She's unbelievable. She'll co-captain with Jenna O'Hay, um, who are both going to their second games, but the rest of it's a lot of debutantes. Um, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing how some of these uh, women stack up against the, the world. Um, so Liz Cambridge, obviously one of the most recognised, uh, you know, outspoken kind of members of, of uh, basketball worldwide. Um, she's in the WNBA right now, so she couldn't come to the uh, unveiling of the Olympic, of the Opals side. Um, but the other one I want to touch on uh, is, is Tessa Levy, who I think will be a, a really important um, player for us. Uh, the what she brings on the defensive side of the ball is really important. I kind of touched on Matisse Seibel and, and you touched on Josh Green as well, Dan. But, you know, Gorgian's going to be implementing that kind of stuff to the Boomers. And it's exactly what the Opals are, are known for as well. They're, they're such a good defensive side and they lock down and and they're able to key on on specific players really well. They play really smart team defense. Uh, and Tessa Laby kind of gets them, gets them going in that regard because she's such a good defender. I know you've, You've been on the Tessa Levy bandwagon for a little while, Dan. Yeah, I have. I think that um, just as a whole, it's a really exciting squad. Um, you know, there's so much talent. Um, Tess Magin is another one who I'm quite looking forward to. But I think it speaks volumes to the fact that we've got people like Skylar Heal, who, um, you know, is a top 10 WNBA draft pick, um, who isn't going to be going to the Olympics. And she's obviously incredibly talented to be, taken that high in the draft but the fact that you couldn't find a spot in this squad speaks to how strong it is and how much talent there is going so that's really exciting but I mean going up against the US um, is going to be really tough with uh, Superd and Diana Taurasi um, obviously spearheading that but I think that at the end of the day one of the biggest things that we have in our pocket if we try and take down the US is that we've got a center um, that I don't think anyone in the world can stop. Yeah. Um, Jasper, you and I were talking the other night just about the fact that this Opals team, the pass mark is a silver medal, um, which sounds outrageous, but that's what they'll be expecting at the very least is to make that gold medal match. And if there's a team right now that can take down this United States team, it is the Aussies. Um, They'll have Puerto Rico, China and Belgium in their group stage. Whilst no one's going to say that there's like obvious 20 point wins in each of those matches, but they should win all of them and they should be convincingly through to that set of finals. And then from there, it's just a mixed bag as to what ends up happening. They, I expect them to make the gold medal match at the very least. So yeah, Jasper, what are you thinking about, I guess Australia's chance of making it out of the group and then what comes next from that group stage? Well, this Team USA is very fallible, in my opinion. Uh, obviously, they're unbelievable. Like, headed up by Subird, any team would be uh, very confident heading in um, with the likes of that quality. But uh, I want to kind of have a look at this two-headed monster that we could be bringing out to a few games and, and, see, and see what opposition teams can do against Liz Cambridge and Ezzy Magbagor, who is playing for the Seattle Sparks right now. And yeah, she's been fairly quiet um, in the regular season until her last two games. She's got 15 minutes and then 23 minutes. 
off the bench. And what she's done has just been unbelievable. She had 12 points against the Dream and then she had another 20 points um, just today uh, as we're recording, uh, which is just phenomenal. She's shooting the ball really well above 50% in her two games there. And also from three as well. So she can stretch the floor as a center, which is unbelievable, like a, a huge advantage um, to the because we've never really had um, a woman who can spread the floor at her height since Lauren Jackson. Uh, and, and she's shooting the three-point at, at 67% over the WNBA season so far, which is awesome. Uh, had nine rebounds as well in a block. So I, I, can't, I can't wait to see what those two can produce for the, um, for the Opals going forward. And I think that could really do some damage against Team USA, who, who are, you know, they, their best players are often guards and, and really crafty ball handlers. So if we can get them in the height and, and in the paint, I think we're going to have a real advantage. And, and we have a chance to win that gold medal, I think. I think we're a really good chance. I thought now, of a we'll, pick and roll with those two there. Um, running the pick and roll would be just about unstoppable. Yeah, absolutely. Double screens would be it would be awesome to watch. Now, Will, you've also taken a look at the other groups, I believe. Who, who do you see coming out of a couple of the different groups? Um, you know, Team USA obviously is one. Yeah, I guess um, I guess it's good to look at Australia's group first and um, second in the world. Australia's ranked um, in in the women's basketball, uh, but. It, bit of competition um, with China and Belgium in that group as well. And they're um, ninth and sixth in the world um, respectively. So I guess that's could, could pose a tough challenge um, for the Aussies in the group stages. But um, if, if you want to lock it in um, for the Aussies to get through, I think, um, I think that's, that's another, another little matchup to watch as well. But um, uh, we've got, we've got, the USA obviously there in, in Group B as well, and they've got France, um, Japan, and Nigeria. Um, Japan is the host nation; they've they've got a bit bit to play for as well, um, and they're they're ranked tenth, so they could be be a chance to get through as well as France, um, who are fifth, um, fifth ranked in the world there as well. So a bit bit more competition in that group as well, which I think it'll be good to see a, a pretty even spread. And then Group A, um, you got Korea, Serbia, Canada, and Spain. Um, and Spain obviously ranked third in the world, but Canada are fourth as well. Um, so another another nice little matchup there. But um, yeah, it's it's looks like it could be pretty open ended, I guess. So yeah, I think that <laughs> we should probably call it quits here again, just because there's so much that we can keep talking about in the next. 18 days or so from when we're recording that realistically we could have a three hour long podcast every night, but that's not feasible. Uh, so I'll end it here with this has been Ascending Olympus uh, brought to you by the Inner Sanctum. You can find us on Twitter at Ascending Ollie Pod. You can find any Olympic stories, particularly Australian stories on the Inner Sanctum's website, which is the Thank you for listening and we'll be back next week.